Welcome to Bandit's Keep. I'm Daniel. So I'm still not ready to start season two, I guess. I don't know. Maybe maybe I feel like once I start season two, I have to put a podcast out every week. Obviously, that's not true, but you know how your brain gets. So we're going to call this still a bonus episode because I do have some call-ins that I definitely want to answer. And also, I have tried to record something multiple times, and it tends to come out a little bit negative. So I'm going to try again and try not to be negative because I don't necessarily mean it that way. Um, so try to bear with me. And actually, I have uh, Joe from Decahedron podcast to thank for it because I think that something I'm going to talk about after the initial subject is going to help kind of explain my point of view. So as you probably see by the very clickbaity title of the episode, The Cult Overall. Yeah. So again, I believe, so I'll lay it out, that if you are going to play a brand new game, you've never played a game before, even if it's a hack of a game you know well, so let's say I pick up a, a retro clone of BX, I think that it's a good idea to play the game as close as possible to how it is written when you first get it. Run through it, play it that way, see how it feels. I think that if you immediately start changing a game before you start playing it, which we do see a lot of people do, myself included, you, you why not, why even bother playing the game? Right. Like you might as well just play the game you're you're already playing if you're going to make this new game equal that. That's kind of my opinion there. I've talked a little bit about this before and not very articulately. Articulately, is that a, a word? Uh, in that I think that for me, I would love to see a lot more zines, if you will, that have maybe a handful of rules and basically a setting, if you will, that is some ideas for a setting. And from that you say, okay, this is a supplement for BX or OD&D or AD&D or 5e or whatever, and not try to rewrite the whole rule set when the rule set's basically just the same rules. Because I don't want to read through a bunch of OD&D clones looking for that one or two rules that you changed. In fact, that's why half the time I end up missing those rules and then I'm like, why did I even bother, right? So I think that's where I stand on that. So just so you know my point of view. After that, I believe very strongly in making any game and every game your own. Not just your own as a DM, but your own as the table. And there's a pretty strong, <laughs> very strong precedent for this, starting with the original edition of Dungeons & Dragons. In fact, starting with Chainmail. Now, I am no expert in war games, so I could be completely wrong here, but I have picked up a couple, and many of them have kind of clauses in them that says, if something doesn't work for you at your table, it seems unclear, just make a ruling and then note it down. And, you know, that's pre-D&D. Chainmail specifically says that. It says to write it in the book. <laughs> so this is not something that people are making up now. It's not like in 2023 or 2015 or in 2000 or 1985 or whenever, somebody decided, you know what? D&D is not perfect the way it is. I'm going to start house ruling. And all of a sudden it started this avalanche. From the beginning, the game has been about that. It's been about making it your own at your table. Yes, in AD&D, there is this trend towards this idea that try to play the rules as close as possible because we want to all be playing in the same world if you were all playing AD&D versus playing something else, which that something else would be D&D, as Gary goes on to talk about in various dun uh, dungeon, no, not dungeon, dragon magazines. So, huh. 
<laughs> Sorry, Gary, I'd rather play D&D myself. But again, try not to be too contentious here. The reason why I want to talk about this, though, is because I've seen a lot of people lately, and this is not new, but lately it just it started to really bug me. <laughs> so that not only are saying, yeah, you got to play the game raw because that's the right way to do it, but that somehow you are better for it or that it's easier to house rule and that those of us that want to make changes to the system simply just can't handle playing it rules as written. Rules as written is so much more difficult. You have to you have to stick to those rules no matter what. Even it kills your players. You have to stick to the rules no matter what. Even if it means stopping the game and reading. Yeah, I get it. That doesn't make you a better player. My opinion personally is that if I have to look everything up constantly, that means that I'm not being that imaginative. And D&D for me is a game about imagination. If you think that there is an exact rule for every single thing in your system, I would love to challenge you on that. So not really. Don't send me, I mean, send me messages, but I'm sure go ahead and send me a message. And I'm sure I can find something in your system that you, there's no rule for. And you might say, well, there's no rule. That means either you can't do it or that's when you make a ruling. Cool. I'm, I'm down for that. But the idea that you are somehow lesser because you are not following the rules as written is just BS to me. I think part of this comes from the idea that you do see people post sometimes on Twitter and various forums. And I mean, I've seen this, on the OSC Facebook group quite a bit where people will ask about something, how it's done. And the rule is in the book. So you get this like frustration, I guess, of people, I'm being devil's advocate here, that are like, just read the rules, man. But, you know, not everybody has the same comprehension of the rules as you. They haven't been playing as long as you. It's not always so obvious to, to them because maybe they're coming from a different mindset. I know personally that when I got into OD&D, I read the, I believe it was on one of the Jason Vey articles, where they said you need to forget everything about D&D to play OD&D. And that's not easy to do. It took me multiple read-throughs, multiple read-throughs. And I'm still finding stuff in OD&D that I'm like, oh, no, that's what it means. <laughs> so, yeah, don't put people down because they don't play rules as written. Don't flex your muscles because you seem to know the rules better than other people. That That's just a bad look, bro. Bad look. Now, how does this tie into something that Joe <laughs> from Decahedron? Well, so I had called in, I don't remember the exact calls, listen to Decahedron, I'll put a link to that episode, but I had made a remark about system and crunch and kind of how no matter what game you play, if you're with a regular table, you kind of play the same. So on some level, and I know I'll get some pushback here, system doesn't matter. Now, I, I do think that in very specific genre games, it's good to have rules for those genre things. But what I meant by this, and this is why I'm going to talk about it here, is I didn't want to keep calling back and show to fill his podcast with my clarifications, is that if you are a table that likes to play games with heavy narration and role play, you like to solve problems, you don't like combat, or maybe you're a game that, a table that loves combat, that loves to do it a different way. Well, no matter what game you play, you will lean into that. If you're if you're a table that likes to house rule a lot, you will house rule whether you're playing AD&D, Pathfinder, OD&D. You'll just do it because that's how your table plays. That is the culture of your table. I don't think the game will dictate whether or not you do that. Just like I don't believe that 
a, a rules-heavy game will save you from a bad GM. And I don't believe a rules-light game will necessarily play smoother or better. It really depends on your table. You can get people, and I've had people, sit down at an OD&D table that I'm running a game that they've got, a, let's say, a little bit of a higher-level character, and they start asking specific questions about how I would adjudicate each spell before they even got to a point where they'd need them. They'd be like, I, I see here I have a wall of stone. Is that like magical stone, that, or does it go away? You know, They ask all these questions. It's like, why are you asking me this question now? You Because some people's brains, right, and those people are new to my table, they need to know. Because they probably play at a table where it's very specific, and they go, I'm using wall of stone for this, and that GM goes, huh, that's not how it works. You wasted your spell, now you're dead. I'm not like that, but maybe they've played at tables like that. The culture of the table that you grew up with, if you will, is going to dictate how you play the game. I play in a very balanced way where I take lots of player input. I don't necessarily stay in character all the time. I like strategy. I like the the stuff where the players sit around and talk about how they're going to do it for a while. I like that stuff. I don't go, you must talk in character. You know they can hear you. That's just not what I do. Some tables do that, and that can be super fun for them. And I don't think that the game system dictates that. So case in point, on some level, I would say is, because Jason's mentioned it multiple times, he had set up a scenario for us that was, you know, in theory, a very combat-heavy scenario in Barbarians of Lemuria. And by the way, I'm not going to give any spoilers because it's a great scenario, and I am I think he runs it for other people. If you get a chance to run with Jason Barbarians of Lemuria, I highly recommend it. Well, we built a team just because those were the players that didn't have a lot of combat uh, finesse. And it just happened to be, and we, uh, I mean, I'm not sure about the other players, but I think that was the first time I had played with any of them, except for Jason. And we found our own way to do it. And that is what will happen. That is the beauty of the role-playing game. If you make a scenario, your players, the the, the vibe of your table, they will solve it in the way that they think is is right. So if I come in and and guest GM at a table and the the players are used to a certain thing, it's my responsibility on some level, I think, to see the vibe of the table and adapt to it, right? If they want to only talk in character and that kind of stuff, I can lean into that, right? Because now I'm joining effectively that group, right? I'm not the boss because I'm the DM. It's majority rules at my table, and that's something that's part of the culture I bring into it. So what I'm saying here is, to go back to the very first point, is that no matter what, because I am the type of person that likes to house rule, I'm the type of person that likes rulings, I'm the type of person that likes when you do something in the game that there is no rule for. I love that. Bring something to me that I can't find a rule for. That's what I want. I want my players to do that so I know that I can never truly play with only the rules in any particular game if I have the players I want to play with because they will do things that are not in the book. And that's the beauty of tabletop RPGs. All of them, from OD&D to AD&D to Traveler to Coriolis to Pathfinder, even, I'm going to say that even though I haven't played Pathfinder, I'm quite sure that there are times when you have to make a ruling and the table has to make decisions. And that, to me, is the game. So I would love to hear from you about this because I think that time it didn't sound too negative. (laughs) Hopefully you stuck with me that far. I've got a bunch of calls, though. So I'm going to play and answer some calls. We'll get more into this kind of uh, discussion if you want to leave me a message. Look in the show notes. That has all the ways. I will say them again at the end. But if you are somehow leaving before the calls, although you shouldn't because the callers really, they really make the show. 
But, you know, you can check the show notes and that will give you the links to send me a message. So, number one, this is a uh, first time caller to the show, actually. All right, here we go. It's Lex. Hey, Daniel, it's Lex Mandrake. Hope you're doing well. Uh, Just wanted to say that I really dig the podcast, just like the YouTube channel. And I wanted to ask if you've heard of this little OD&D rules hack called Chaos Reigns by Chow Calypse. Uh, Brandon Yu, I think, is the creator's real name. And they're a guy that I followed for their art for a while, but I've just recently been getting really into their writing. And I particularly like in this Chaos Reigns book, this entry for other tasks, which is like when the character is trying to do something technical, I guess. And it basically says that there are three relevant things uh, that the character has to have. So training, time, and equipment. If you've got one or none of those things, you just can't do the, the skill check, right? If you've got two of the things, then you have a two in six chance of succeeding. And if you have all three of the things, it's just an auto success. So I just thought that simplicity of that and the elegance of it was really cool. And there's a bunch of really neat things in Chaos Reigns. I mean, it's only like a page, but it's got a bunch of great stuff in it. And I thought as someone who is very like mechanically minded, you may find this doc super interesting. Plus, it's free on itch. So, you know, why not? Uh, anyhow, I hope you have a great day. Thanks, Lex. Yes, I have, in fact, uh, heard of and seen Chaos Reigns. Uh, they uh, they have a YouTube channel as well, if you don't know that. And uh, they did an overview of it, and I, I watched it. And yeah, I thought that was a really cool mechanic. I like the system. I think it's really interesting. I love when people hack systems. It's so great. You can jump on itch. I'll put a link to the itch. I'll put a link to the YouTube video going over it if you just want to do that. It is pay what you want or free, um, so it's worth checking out for sure. But throw a couple bucks at them if you got it because it's well worth it. It's a fun little thing. It's I believe it is. I think if it's um it's two pages or one you know you can print on one sheet of paper if I'm not mistaken. I'd have to look at it again, but I downloaded it. It's very fun, and uh, yeah, definitely worth looking at. Thanks so much, Lex, for that call. I will put Lex's info down in the description, as well as a link to their pages. They created the 5B system, which uh, I actually did a video about. So very cool. I will send a link to for Dank Dungeons, which is Lex's page, also to uh, the game Chaos Reigns. So thanks so much. And let's see what else we have for calls here. All right. We have a call from Riley. Hi, Daniel. Riley here. A couple of thoughts from your Between season contents. Uh, first up, your changes to Unchained. I think uh, you'd agree that even playing on a grid, the positional movement is still abstract, but I think you've made a good change with the movement rules. Previously, it felt a little bit gamey to hold your move and get away, though I think that faster monsters are certainly going to be deadlier. Lifts the value of wearing lighter armor or carrying less treasure, I suppose. Automatic hits for hero types, I think it's great. should let fighters really tear through uh, groups of monsters. Sort of reminds me of Shock. The shock mechanic from Words Without Number. Whether monsters should have that as well. I don't think so. I'm imagining a six-hit dice creature getting into combat with a lower group and just instantly killing two level three fighters, which would uh, be quite nasty. Because I might be misinterpreting your, your ruling there as well. I do have a question for you, I guess. How are higher level characters um, feeling in abstract combat? I'll try not to bore 
anyone with the math, but uh, players are getting exponentially more survival each level, it seems. At level one, one attack, needing sixes, kills a player 60% of the time. A three-hit dice player needing um, simultaneous hits would need to face more than eight attacks to have the same chance to be killed. Now, that might just... It might be a case where facing different types of foes, uh, fantasy combat being more prevalent might change that up a little bit. I'd be interested to hear how that actually is playing out at the table, though. Uh, Arnasonian Dice, really interesting. Perhaps we should rename all Powered by the Apocalypse games to uh, Powered by Arnason, or uh, Powered by the Arnason, so we don't have to change the acronym, I suppose. So that, the outcomes map exactly to the outcomes of PBTA. You go yes and, yes, yes but, no but, no, and no and. An example of what I mean, so let's say you roll your dice, you beat your opponent, but they rolled a double. So that would be a yes, you succeeded in what you're doing, but something bad happens or something advantageous to your opponent happens. Anyway, I uh, hope you had a good Thanksgiving and uh, looking forward to the next season or the uh, infinite in-between season. All right. Thanks, Riley. Lots of cool stuff there. Uh, yeah, the movement thing definitely is better. <laughs> uh, you know, again, it feels like I was, you know what I'm learning is the this is why playtesting is so important. The more I playtest this, and the, part of the reason why I haven't completely finished this is because I am lazy, but also part of it is because I really am. I know that eventually, you know, they say uh, perfect is the enemy of good or whatever, but, you know, I have found lots of little things that play out of the table, and sometimes it takes me a minute to realize I'm actually house-ruling my own rules. <laughs> Can you house-rule your own rules? And then I realize, okay, I, I keep making this call over and over again. That's because this is needs to be like this. So... So as far as the monsters being able to do the deal, right, as far as the automatic damage, I think I would just leave that to monsters that are fought only on fantasy combat, which is basically the, already the way it is, right? I, I think that maybe I had said that I was thinking about it for all monsters, but I think that's probably not a good idea because these monsters that can only be fought on fantasy combat, they have something they can do against normal types. So that's probably where I'll leave it. I think you're right. If you run into a six-hit dice monster that's not a fantasy-type monster, then it probably shouldn't be able to uh, to just auto-hit because that would just be too powerful, right? Taking out two third-level fighters in a single hit, <laughs> yeah, that'd be pretty bad. To that point, how is abstract combat working out at higher levels? Well, yes, the player characters are way, way, way more survivable. However, it... it Really, and it, funny, it ends up being the fighters, and I guess the clerics are certain level that are, and they tend to take the brunt of the damage. Or like you know, what I'm saying they make lines and they block things. And the reason why I say that is because remember, magic users hit dice aren't going up quite quite as fast. And although in my campaign I have now, they the one of the magic users has a ring of protection, which gives them plate armor, basically uh, protection, and the other one actually has magical plate metal armor because they're an elf. Yeah, they're pretty tough, but I have an abstract combat come pretty close to taking them out. It comes down to them fighting tougher monsters, right? So if you are, because remember, like you say, it takes X number of hits, but if you're fighting creatures that can roll one die per hit die, you know, they're let's say they're attacking his armored foot, they're attacking you in armor. If they're six hit dice, they're rolling six right there, which is one monster. So it definitely can happen, but you are correct that in abstract combat, when a player character gets at a higher level, they become almost indestructible. And this is where fantasy combat comes in. What we're learning in fantasy combat is that they, <laughs> it's funny because it's kind of like, these things don't bother me. You know, the minion type monsters, the you know, 20 orcs is not going to bother 
my, well, maybe my hero it might, but it might not bother my superhero. But that's by design. Because the way that I even played 5th edition, for instance, when they encountered a bunch of weak monsters, they just always beat them. Like, they just had too many hit points, too many healing spells. So in the end, it wasn't really a challenge. It was kind of a waste to roll it out. So I reached the point where I was kind of like, okay, you guys are 8th level. These are orcs. You know, tell me how you destroy them. I'm not going to worry about rolling that up because of the nature of the game. So I, in some some way, and this is probably a, uh, <laughs> oh, I'll get kicked out of the OSR for this. But in some ways, I like the fact that the characters, especially higher levels in 5th edition, are very superheroic. They remind me more of your John Carter and your Conan. And how to capture that in an OSR game, I think this does that. I'm no longer worried about these orcs, but the cool thing is I don't have to hand wave it. I can actually do that combat. And with the new damage thing, especially, they'll just wipe them out. You can roll it out in three or four minutes so the character can actually have the... It's not me just going, yeah, you guys are super powerful. You take them out, yawn. It's, okay, let's fight these 20 orcs. Roll. Two rounds later, they've wiped out 20 orcs. They feel the power. So that's working. Now, fantasy combat, not so much. Because especially when you look at something like a magic user... A lot of the creatures in fantasy combat have five, six, seven hit dice, and your like warlock or whatever only has about five, I think. So yeah, they go down pretty quickly. Like they fought, uh, who they fight the other day? They fought something the other day. It just completely uh, right. Would they fought jins? Now, luckily for them, they had planned ahead and they did protection from evil, which held the jins back. Uh, well, I was using the jin stat, but they're basically demons. Well, the thing is, a jin is. I think six hit dice and the way the party's constructed right now, that gin on a single hit would have killed any, well taken out any player character. So yes, you need to include more fantasy combat if you want to challenge the player characters. So you need to introduce into the game more of these high level foes for them to fight. And they, these high level foes are tough without proper planning. Like I said, two gin against the, that there was four PCs they very likely could have wiped the party if the party had rolled badly on their rolls and the djinn had rolled well. A single Balrog took out half the party uh, the first time we had a fantasy combat with this new kind of twist. So, yeah, I, I think that you've got to switch the types of combat. That, that's really what it comes down to to answer that question. I think that's really it. It's funny you mentioned the Arnesonian dice and the Powered by the Apocalypse because, yeah, you're right. Now that you say it, that is actually true. I wonder if... And again, I not didn't you just said it so because I don't know what other people do, but I don't actually listen to the messages until I'm about to record my <laughs> show. Like I listen to it, then I immediately reply. So I'm not taking the time to look something up. But I wonder if on any dice, or if somebody just knows, if you've got a better or worse chance of having that, right? So what I mean is, do you have a? How often do doubles come up? Now, in my experience with the Arnesonian dice, and I've only used them. Three or four times now, I think. I think I've had a double almost every time on one side. So that's really interesting. Does that happen in Powered by the Apocalypse? Is it more often than not that you have a and or a but? I'd be curious about that for people who have played, is that, or maybe if you just know the numbers. So, But I like it. I like the system. I think it's pretty cool. I want to test it out more. I almost feel like you could use it for anything. And this is why I love systems like this. I, I like to dig into it. Like, in my brain right now is going, oh, you know what? You could use this for anything. Uh, maybe I said this last time. You know, you, everybody's got two dice. Oh, I have plate mail armor. Okay, you get one die. 
I'm using a two-handed sword. Okay, you get a die. You know, you can just weigh the combat, right? I'm more hit dice than them. Okay, you get a die. And then just roll it and go for it, right? And and I think that you could do that and you would end up with a very basic system with no charts that would have a pretty cool result, right? So yeah, I think that it's, it's definitely something that uh, could be used for almost an entire game. Now, I don't love single system games, but I do love to explore mechanics as a single system to kind of test the limits of them. So I think it's a pretty interesting thing. And uh, we've got some calls from Jason too, who will also talk a little bit about them, I believe. And uh, thanks, Riley, for calling. Hey, Daniel, Jason here. Listen to your latest episode. Is far, I guess I'll go backwards. <laughs> the games you got, Triplanetary is a pretty famous space combat board game. And it, you know, depending on the edition, can go for quite a bit of money. Just depends on the edition. As far as Starships and Spacemen, very cool. I've got that. You can get a PDF of the original version through Goblinoid Games on Drive Through RPG. And they have a second edition that is more in line with like BX kind of rules. But it's in line with BX kind of like uh, Apes Victorious is in line with BX. In fact, it, it has more in common with Apes Victorious than it does BX. But it but it's an interesting system. And yeah, if I was going to run Star Trek, I would probably use Starships and Spacemen, probably second edition. So, very cool. As far as your rules changes, um, yeah, I, I don't see any huge issues with those without having actually played the game. So, you know, I'm hesitant to to weigh in with lots of suggestions without actually having hands-on experience. But I will talk to you soon. Take care. And who knows, maybe I'll even call with the next episode of that game. By the way, folks, I didn't author that scenario that he's running through, that solo scenario. That is, well, we'll, we'll reveal all at the end of the, at the end of the game. So anyhow, take care. I will talk to you soon. Wow, Jason almost revealed it. I told him not to tell me what it was. So he said, I probably should have given that disclaimer. So thanks for bringing that up, Jason. Yes, Jason's running uh, basically a, uh, I don't know if it's like a choose your own adventure book or something to that effect, like a, a pre, call this a programmed adventure, I guess you call it for me, which is super fun. And I've really been enjoying it. So yeah, we'll, uh, we'll continue that as we go. I do have one more call from Jason. I do not believe it is about the game because it says Happy Thanksgiving. So I'm assuming it's about, you guessed it, Thanksgiving. Hey, Daniel, Jason here. Happy Thanksgiving. I hope you have a great turkey day, great weekend. As far as your latest episode goes out, Arnesonian Dice, as presented in Holmes and Clark. I also really like that system. Huh, that's interesting to use that as your skill system, or at least as a basis to build your skill system on. I'm getting ready to do a rule cyclopedia campaign, solo campaign, and I'm not super thrilled with the way skills are done in there, and I've been kind of thinking how I want to do skills. So I'll probably do something a little more traditional than that way, but that is a really interesting thought, and I look forward to seeing how that advances. I also hope you get to do some more playtesting on Man on Man. I don't want to hear that there's a weak point in your game. Come on. Actually, you know, you mentioned how the speed of combat is a huge plus in your game, and I agree with that. So Pathfinder, 
in theory, Pathfinder's kind of like that. Joe will probably call in and say, oh, our combats only take two or three rounds, too. The difference is the Pathfinder two or three rounds are a couple hours worth of play. So, yes, it's only a couple rounds, but each round is a long, 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 long time compared to what you're, you guys are doing. The way Pathfinder does it, of course, is just to shoot the hit points up really high and then shoot the damage up really high. But, you know, if you're shooting them both up really high, do you really need to have all these numbers that you're crunching and all that, or could it be simplified? I don't know. Like an Unchained. I don't know. You know? Crazy thought there. Anyhow, take care. I will talk to you soon. You know, as you say this, or as you were saying it, I thought to myself, I wonder, I mean, not not that I'm going to start another project right now, but... I wonder if this could be adapted, like the Unchained idea, to other systems, like like 5e or I wouldn't say Pathfinder necessarily myself right the second since I don't uh, not familiar with it, but the idea that you just simply because I, I think the appeal. So I, I'll make a uh, kind of a general statement here that is my uh, my thoughts, and this is based on myself playing fifth edition and having played some games that are a little bit more in line with. Uh, with that kind of style of play. I think that a lot of people, myself sometimes included, like a game that gives you a lot of options. And what you get in a game like 5th edition, or basically, we'll say D&D from 3rd edition on, we'll say, is more stuff to do, right? If we just look at the numbers, it seems like they just inflate it, right? The the enemies get uh, more hit points and you do more damage, at least with spells. And I guess fighters get more attacks. The enemies have a worse armor class, or, or better armor class, I should say, they're harder to hit, but you get a bonus to attack. So in the end, it's kind of the same, right? When you are first level as a character, you are basically hitting almost, I mean, this is the idea of bounded accuracy. You're hitting just as often as you will when you're 20th level, assuming that the the enemy you're fighting is balanced. In theory, although I don't think this works out this way, the hit points elevating along with the damage output, which again, I don't think, especially with a martial character, I don't think this actually works out, makes things take roughly the same amount of time, which we know it doesn't work out. So maybe they need to increase the damage more. (laughs) Or maybe it isn't Pathfinder. But I think what you get is more stuff to do right? More story to tell when you're playing the game, right? You may have five spells that all do the same damage in the end, you know, average, but those spells all have different flavor. You can make choices of them. You may have a bunch of different battle maneuvers to fighter that all in the end do the same thing, but choosing the optimal one for that combat gives you that damage, right? Like, let's say the most damage you could do is 100 hit points in the round, and Against some monsters, okay, I'll give you an example from OD&D. A black pudding, or let's say an ooze, I don't remember the exact thing about black pudding, and I don't want to say it wrong and have a rules lawyer, you know, contact me. Let's say a black pudding or some kind of ooze can only be hit by or hurt by fire or, let's say, cold. It can't be hurt by weapon strikes. It can't be hurt by lightning. That's kind of the same thing, right? So in an OD&D situation, you're thinking, okay, I got to figure out what the right move is. Do I use fire or or ice? Maybe some oozes, you know, increase in strength when you use fire, right? So this is the same thing, I think, on some level. It's like you have these different enemies. Should I use my trip attack? Should I use my grapple? 
And what people like in those games, I think, are the options. So I wonder, this is where I'm getting at, I wonder if you could keep those options but simplify to the level of Unchained. That is to say, don't track the hit points, don't have the things go up in the same way, but still have the different moves. I think you'd have to, it would be more difficult because it's more monsters, and you would have to consider the various moves and stuff people could do. But then again, 5e has very conveniently broken down their attacks into types, like slashing, blunt, there's like force, like a like magical force, there's fire, obviously, ice, lightning, there's uh, radiant damage, uh, I'm not naming them all, but you, you get the idea. So you could be like, okay, this creature needs five simultaneous hits with radiant damage to go down. So you'd still be able to decide and use your special abilities or your thoughts. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I wonder. I'm, I'm curious about how that would play out at the table and if you could do something to the effect that basically a Unchained Pathfinder, Unchained 5e or whatever you want to call it. So yeah, I, I'm curious if that would work out, but that's a project for the future. Maybe I'll do that and, and you know, sell out and do a, a million dollar Kickstarter like these 5e people. <laughs> I can't say that anymore because this has been some pretty good OSR million dollar Kickstarters as well. So good on them. I'm not doing any Kickstarter anytime soon. You can check out the Unchained playtest in the description below. Down there, I'll also put links to Jason's, uh, if I didn't say, Nerds RPG Variety Cast. I'll put links to uh, Lex's itch page, also to Chaos Reigns and all the other stuff we've talked about here. If you have something to add to the show or you took something away from the show, uh, not like took away, but, you know, learned something or, I don't know, got a good thought or, you know, whatever, uh, call in. I love to hear from people. It's always fun to get calls. All the ways to do that are down in the show notes, but I will say them now because I feel like that's a podcast tradition. You can <laughs> send me a message via Discord. That's probably the easiest way to do it. Uh, I have my own Discord linked in the show notes. I'm also on Audio Dungeon, Cleric Queer Ring Mails, Grizzly Peaks Radio. I'm, I'm out there. You can send me an email, banditskeep at gmail. You could use the Spotify for Podcasters link that will allow you to send a voicemail that way. So many ways to send a message. If you happen to be in New York and you see me on the street, you can just walk up and, and hand it to me. Oh, you could also just email me something and I'll read it. Either way, it'd be great to hear from y'all. From y'all. Got the little, I think I used it right that time. Let me know, Jason. And because uh, I can't say all y'all because that's for larger numbers of people, as I understand it. I'll talk to you soon.